Welcome, everybody, to an attorney and an accountant walk into a bar. I'm the attorney, John, and my buddy here... Kent, I'm the accountant. All right. Today, we're going to talk about a really important topic, and that's how to select a professional, being an attorney, be it a doctor, be it an accountant, and how to avoid the heartbreak of picking the wrong professional that can really screw up your life. But before we do that, we're going to taste some whiskey, and we'll have some fun with some other topics. You ready, Kent? Um, All right. I'm ready. Let's get into it. Cool. phone calls, you know, that say, uh, scammer possible, right. Or scam likely on my, on my phone. What's the deal with those? I'll tell you what, if you always got that indication that scam was likely, we wouldn't have a problem. The problem is when you don't get that indication, you pick up the phone. And one of the things that's happened to me a lot lately that I really want to tell people about is I get these phone calls from people claiming to be from a law office or claiming to be a lawyer or claiming to have some criminal charges against you. And of course, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm Miss So-and-so and I've got information for you about a claim against you or you need to call us to avoid a lawsuit. And they sound like they're from a law office. They might even say they're from a law office. And then, of course, I always hang up at that point because I'm like, yeah, right. But I think they wouldn't be doing this if a lot of people didn't hang on and try and find out because that's scary, right? Someone's calling you up and saying, hey, we're going to sue you. Well, <laughs> you want to find out about that, right? First of all, you got to understand what they're going to try and get from you is like your personal information. It's always going to be the social security number. It's always going to be bank statements. It's always going to be, well, you know, you need to pay us a little bit of money and we can make this thing go away. And what they're looking to do is steal your identity. They're looking to get your, your banking information. They're looking to get your social security number. But isn't, isn't that too obvious? I feel like the world knows don't under any circumstances, give your social security over the phone, don't give your birth date, the first car you drove, um, and things like that. I feel like, to a certain extent, it might be more of an elderly, vulnerable community, but it doesn't just happen to the elderly. No, it doesn't. And here's the thing, and this is what's so clever. They use this massive fear, this fear that you're being sued. And they'll even say things like, well, you're going to have criminal charges brought against you or all kinds of things that are designed to invoke fear. And when people are fearful because of what's being said to them on the phone, they panic. And when they panic, they tend to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And I guarantee you these people who do do this, and they must, or these people wouldn't be making these calls, right? Mm -hmm. The minute they do it and they hang up the phone, they're probably, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But they did it because of this emotional and visceral reaction they have to the fear. So I want to just make a couple things really clear for people and you can take this to the bank all day long. A law firm is never going to call you up and threaten to sue you. That's not going to ever happen Mm -hmm. one time once ever. And sure as hell, a lawyer or a law firm is never, ever, ever, one time once ever going to call you up and say they're going to bring criminal charges against you because guess what? That's a crime. If I were to say to you, well, you know, can't I... No, I saw you stealing, and if you don't pay up, uh, you know, some damages here, I'm going to uh, I'm going to have criminal charges brought against you. Well, guess what? That is extortion. That's a crime. A, a lawyer is never going to do that because he's going to jail. He's going to lose his, his license over doing something like that. So if someone calls you up and claims they're a lawyer, they claim they're a law firm, first of all, ask them what their bar number is. Ask them and look them up on the you know, website from whatever jurisdiction they're from. And I guarantee you they're just going to hang up and go away because none of that stuff is ever going to happen. If you're going to get sued for something, there's a claim against you, you're going to get a letter in the mail for starters. You're not going to get a phone Mm -hmm. call. So if you do get a letter in the mail and it is from a legitimate lawyer, then the first thing you do is you go hire a lawyer, which is what we're going to talk about next. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I take a much more immediate or practical approach. Since I know a few languages, sometimes I either just pick up the phone and start yelling in a different tongue, or uh, since you know we're all culturally woke and aware of uh, people's feelings and, and languages and they don't want to interrupt, sometimes I'll pick up the phone and they'll just hear, <laughs> and then you know, usually there's dead silence and, and, and some errors, 
and we'd end up hanging out. It's definitely fun to mess with scammers, and I do it a lot all the time, and my wife uh, cringes when I do it, but it is fun <laughs> to do. But the, the point is, for, for everyone out there listening, don't ever be taken in by that sort of stuff. Hang it up when that happens and forget about it. Don't let it worry you. Don't lose any sleep over it. Which I think gets to our next point, though. What do you do if you do have a real problem? Yeah. How do you select a professional lawyer in particular, but also a CPA? Hell yeah. And we're going to get into that. But first, we have, a, we have three mystery whiskeys in front of us. Oh, yes. My uh, favorite part. We have uh, one, two, and three. And they are of different color and context. So we have uh, some wonderful snifter glasses for us to, to nose and then uh, taste the notes of this whiskey. I'm by no means a master whiskey taster. I just know what I like. But today we're going to go start one by one. We're gonna, then we're going to talk about what we taste and what we feel and what we like. And then after we taste all three, we're going to select our personal favorites. Sounds great. So how are we going to do this? I'll start with number one. You're going to start with number one? Yeah, heck yeah. All number right. one. Mm. It's got some caramel. Yep. Right? Definitely has some earthy notes to it as well. I would say maybe a little vanilla. Slightly spicy. Not the smoothest. I do taste the barrel on that one. This is one where I taste... And I feel like I've had this before. It's it's incredibly familiar. I mean, it's from my collection, so I should know. But it's <laughs> one that I've had many, many times. Well, I don't know your whole collection, Kent, so I can't say. Mm. It is good, though. I do like it. Let's have this other one. Very light but in color. In, in between, John, let's have, let's have a palate cleanser. Oh, all right. Very well. Is that more whiskey? A little bit of water. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's check out the second one because I'm just anxious to get on with it. Number two, I see it as much lighter in color, so maybe not aged as long. I would say it's a straw color, right? That's true. Mm, let's see. Not much in the nose at all with this one. Very clean. If I if I clink on the glass, does does the sound indicate anything? No, it's not it really. doesn't. That's I just think so. that's it. <laughs> Just for show. <laughs> also very a little on the spicy side, not that smooth. It's very it's very light. And and judging light. by but judging by color and its its overall viscosity and just the way it tastes with very light notes. It feels like a Japanese whiskey to me. It does. It feels it's, like that's reminiscent. It's reminiscent of a scotch and, and a little bit. And I think that, I think you're right. That's, it seems very Japanese. All right. Especially the fact there's very little nose to it. Let's go to number three. Okay. Number three is amber in color as well. Much deeper amber than... Uh, approximately the same as item number one, but number three. Very, very sweet smell, almost like a brown sugar to me. Oh, yeah. And with taste, it is, a, it is very smooth. It's got a definite sweetness to it. That has to be bourbon. That's got to be bourbon. Smooth. Yep, my guess. So okay. if I had to guess... We have a rye whiskey, we have a Japanese whiskey, and we have a bourbon. You know what, John? I think you... Yeah, I was totally guessing because I have no freaking clue. What you <clears throat> I'm going re- to revisit number one just because I want to, but also because I need a refresher. I would agree. I think one is probably a rye. Um... Let's start... Let's let's guess the type. Let's, let's try and guess what they are. Well, okay. first of all, tell me your favorite. Uh, number three. Number three. Yeah, number three. Okay. Uh, mine's number one. Okay. I think that might be... Hmm. Could it be the Jefferson? So for me, judging from the fact that it's probably rye, judging from the really earthy kind of like floor of the barn taste mm-hmm. to it, I'm going to say it's a whistle pig. Hmm... You know what? 
I haven't had I haven't had the pleasure of that whistle pig, so I don't have context to a it. Whistle pig tenure, man. I drink, okay. I drink that a bit, and that that's what okay. tastes like to me. Number two, I think it's Centauri. I agree. And number three. Um could be a Jefferson. No, no, what's the uh I'm not sure. Do you know I think number three I is? I think it's bourbon though. Do I think number three is? I think number three is Jim Beam. Like off the shelf, Jim Beam? Good old Jim Beam. No. That tastes like gasoline. Okay. Let's do what do we a got? reveal. What do we got? Okay. For number one, we've got Highland Park Single Malt Scotch. Number one is Highland Malt, uh, sorry, Highland Park Single Malt Scotch. So that's number one. I guess I couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> so this tells you how unexperienced we are. Yes. <laughs> even though we've, we're, we're drinkers in quantity. So thank you. Thank you, Tabby. All right. Number two. All, All right. right. All right. We know our Japanese whiskeys. That's Ex- good. Excellent. That's good. And number three is Eagle Rare, a Kentucky straight bourbon. I was right. It was bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah, okay. All right. Two, uh, two out of three. Two out of three. Not bad. Eagle Rare is delicious. Scotch. This isn't scotch. Well, you know what? This must be unpeated because there's no, there's well, no smoke to it. Well, there's, there's unpeated. There are unpeated scotches, which tells me, John, you did enjoy number one. I did enjoy number one. So now, but it, it wasn't my favorite. Has my that favorite. has it changed your perception on scotches? A little bit. Okay. Little okay. Bit. We call that. We call that. But now I've tasted it again, and I realize I don't like it because it's scotch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, I. You know what? For a bourbon, I really this Eagle Rare is great. I haven't had Eagle Rare in a while, um, and the price on this has been increasing since, you know. A few years ago, uh, Eagle Rare has been uh, jumping, but it's, I think it's a very excellent, very excellent drink, and I love it. All right. Okay. Well, cool. All right, let's dive into the podcast. Cool. And also, we, we can feel free to finish these tastings. Oh, I intend to. Actually, what is in your, what is in your side, what was in your side glass? I forgot, but it was really good. <laughs> uh, I went off the reservation with mine. You can guess what this is? No. This is a tequila. Oh. Hiradora, legend. And it is freaking delicious. So at another time, we might, we might have to do some tasting. I'm mixing tonight. I, I understand that. But it's worth it. Well, I'm glad I'm not going to be you tomorrow morning. So anyway, let's talk about, I think, is a really, really critical subject. And let's talk about why this is important. Not all attorneys are created equal. Not all accountants are created equal. And, you know... This is true of all professions. And when I mean professions, let's be clear. We're talking about a traditional profession, which is attorneys, accountants, doctors. We're not talking about plumbers. Mm -hmm. People tend to use the term profession loosely when they talk about other, you know, things like plumbers, electricians. They even say, well, I'm a professional, you know, podcast recorder or something. Well, it's not a profession. Professions are very specific things. And they're licensed. And they're licensed for a reason. It's because you're supposed to have a particular skill. And you're taking on something that is critical to a client. Now, let's face it. You screw up someone's plumbing, all right, might, you might flood their house. If you screw up someone's, you know, legal position, they might go to jail or they might lose all their money. And if you screw up, you know, their taxes, they could go to jail. <laughs> There's all <laughs> kinds of really bad things that can happen when professionals That's screw true. Up. A little sliding scale so that we don't get a lot of hate from, you know, our, our venerable professions and our electrician in the plumbing area. I think your distinction is what would typically be called or the differentiation between white-collar and blue-collar professions. Well, I didn't mean to imply that the word professional or someone can't be professional in the sense of professional, but what I'm talking about is a definition. The traditional definition of a profession mm-hmm. is not how it's used colloquially today. The traditional usage has to do with a very limited group of people, and, and, and that's the reason I'm using it that way is just to clarify that these, I think, are particularly critical. It's not that it's not important to choose a really good plumber, and it's not that really good plumbers aren't professionals. What I'm saying is that these particular things are critical because 
Well, in the case of a doctor, it could be life-ending. In the case of a lawyer, it could be freedom-ending. In the case of an accountant, it could be finance-ending. I mean, these are really, really bad consequences to picking the wrong person. So I want to talk about a little bit about, well, how do you go about doing that? You know, I, I think part of it is understanding as an individual what their goals are. Their situations are different. So there's people that are trying to avoid something, and there's other people trying to accomplish something. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the first question that you have to ask. What type of professional do you need? Are you looking to have someone do your taxes? That's a particular kind of accountant. Mm -hmm. Are you looking for someone to help you because you got hit by a car? That's a particular kind of lawyer. Are you looking for someone to help you because someone stole your client list and is trying to destroy your business? Well, that's a particular type of lawyer. So that's the first thing you have to answer is what kind of lawyer am I looking for? What kind of accountant am I looking for? The same as you would for a doctor. If you have a broken bone, you're not going to go to a gynecologist, right? And the, the problem mm -hmm. is with, with doctors, it's very clear. There's a gynecologist, there's an osteopod, there's all, they have their labels, right? Well, accountants don't necessarily have labels and neither do lawyers. Well, when, when you look at the details of our profession, they do. With they, people tend to generalize because um, doctors could be, I saw the doctor, accountant or a lawyer, I saw the accountant or lawyer. But within, within the profession, there's quite a number, as you and I both know, of uh, distinctions between people's specialities. But I think what you're saying is the general population tends to lump the profession of legal or uh, accountant into a jack-of-all-trades. And then I think that's exacerbated by film and TV. You have Law and Order, you have that show Suits. You know, a lawyer one day is is going into uh, uh, personal injury defense and then they're negotiating contracts for M&A mergers and it's the same guy. Particularly bad example of, or bad, you know, uh, representation of what lawyers are about, right? And I think, but, but importantly, I think the distinction is that we don't have labels, right? Mm -hmm. Like a doctor, you wouldn't go to a dentist for a breast exam. They're both doctors. Mm -hmm. But in a lawyer, there's no, there's no nothing after our name to define what we are. I don't have, there's not a, you know, really fun Latin name for uh, a contractor business lawyer versus a, personal injury lawyer. Sure. And I think the same is true of accountant. You don't have a really fun name for, you know, your tax accountant versus your, your accounting accountant. And what's the difference between tax and accounting? Well, gosh, they're just all accountants, aren't they? You know, that's, that's true. That's true. And then what that does is that creates um, a level of, um, what's the word for that? It, 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 leads, it creates a level of... <clears throat> I wouldn't say apathy in a client, but they tend to generalize. And uh, by that, then they, then they commoditize the work that an accountant does. They say, well, my other accountant, they, they did my return for, you know, 12 bucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what, are you, what are you over here charging 100 bucks, right? Exactly. Can't you take this on a contingency? It's like, well, contingent on what? <laughs> you know, what you, what, what's the pool I'm going to get paid out of? Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's an important thing. So I think the first thing you have to do is identify what is it that you need this person for. And then from there, try and identify what kind of specialty that they're in. Mm -hmm. And so when you first thing you need to do when you're looking at someone is, well, do they do what I need? And unfortunately, it's difficult to rely on the professional for this, especially with lawyers, mm -hmm. because there's too damn many of us, especially in California. That means if there's too damn many of us, there's not enough work to go around. So unfortunately, many lawyers will tell you they can do something that they really don't have any experience in because they just need the work. So how do you, how do you gauge experience, especially if the client doesn't have the experience and doesn't have the, the background in that specific area of need? Well, I think the first thing you do is look at their website and see if they say that they do the particular thing that you want them to do. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, move on. So, you know, if you look at a guy's website and he says, well, you know, I do estate planning and I do bankruptcy and I do, uh, uh, I do um, personal injury and I do products liability, and you're going, well, wait a minute. 
hang on a second. That's a lot of different things. Um, sounds like a bottom feeder to me, right? But if you look at a guy and he's, you know, his business is, I'm all about business and I'm business, 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 and I do real estate, but it all kind of ties into a core, right? And you can say, well, okay, that guy obviously has a particular specialty. And then does he list it? Well, you know, I've got a trade secret case or I've got a problem with an employee that's, you know, stolen something. Does he say he does that? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good indication, at least preliminarily, that at least the attorney thought about this as something that he wants to do as opposed to just calling him up and saying, well, hey, you know, I got this problem and it's this, that, and the other thing. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see dollar signs in his eyes, cha-ching. Well, of course I do that. You know what turns off a lot of folks, especially in, in when they're going and approaching an attorney, and I understand it from both sides as a professional because they don't want their time wasted either way, but a lot of these attorneys are like, great. I need a X dollar retainer, you know, and it's something that is before we before we have this conversation. Even sometimes they're like, I need that five thousand dollar retainer, see, and we'll talk about it. And that really turns a lot of people off. And but here's the thing: even good attorneys in areas do have that as a practice. So what does a client do when they're faced down with faced with somebody that's looking to take their hard earned cash to hold on to it without any? necessarily idea that they'll get some of it back but because a lot of times they'll get their time wasted for an hour and yeah they'll get some of it back but they just blew a few hundred dollars attorneys are being three eight hundred thousand dollars an hour sometimes well here's my opinion on that and probably a lot of people aren't going to like it but my opinion is if an attorney isn't first willing to listen to you hear what your problem is analyze it tell you whether or not they can help you and the first thing out of their mouth is the retainer, not asking those questions, run. That's actually a really That's good point. That's my opinion. That's a good because point. Because if all they're thinking about is, well, I need my money, then it's probably really not the guy. Because now I'm not saying you get a full consultation, you get to spend three hours with the guy and he's going to read all your papers and tell you all about it. That's a different thing because, you know, let's face it. A lawyer's time and advice is their stock and trade, right? I mean, we right. don't have anything else to sell. Right. I don't. I can't sell you a widget. I can't sell you anything except my time. Yeah, your commodity so, is your knowledge. So I can only do so much, but I, I think a lawyer should be willing to spend 15, 20 minutes with you, listen to you, listen to you, which right. is, if, if, and that's the other, that's one of the things I'm going to get into here. If all you're getting is transmit and no receive, run. If all the guys just just ba 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 ba, and you're not able to tell him your story, and he's not listening to your story, and he's like saying things that aren't what you told him, get away from that guy. You know, you know in a good example is we just had a we had a client call today. Um, we had just very small tidbits of what the potential issue was, um, real estate. And in general, if it was a piece of real estate in California that needed to have a first lien on it, we could have been of assistance, but. We listened to that client, and with just a few questions, I think the whole call took less than 11 minutes, uh, that we determined that there was a course of action, but we also weren't in a position to help. Well, right, because it was South Carolina, and it's a very specific thing out there, and I'm not going to help them with something that I don't know about. And did I waste a little bit of minutes of my time? Yeah, I did, but that's okay. Because, you know, I think that particular person is going to... Appreciate that we spent that time with them, and I'm always going to do that. And I think if a lawyer is not willing to give you a little bit of time, just a little, again, not hours and hours, and you don't get Great. the email yep. in 45 times, and no, you don't get to send them all your documents and have them read through five page, hundred pages of documents. Because if you want them to do that, yes, they're going to have to charge you for that. Yeah. But I think if you if you should have, be able to have some preliminary discussion to find out if they're the right guy, and when you do that, this is where you get to interview this guy, right? Yeah. So you want to find out from him, it's like, hey, I looked at your website. It says that you do the things that I say you do, and you've heard my story. Can you help me with this? And he's like, yeah. Then you should ask one really key thing. What's that? Can you tell me, Mr. Lawyer, about another case you've had like mine? And how did it go? Or can you tell me about more than one? How many cases like mine have you had? And if they waffle on that, like, well, you know, I've done things on this and that, and you shouldn't ask that question because I'm a lawyer and I've got 66 years' experience and I went to this law school and I got this reward and all that, and you should just listen to me because I'm, I'm big and you're little and I'm smart and you're dumb, run. Hmm. 
because that's the guy who's going to screw up your case because he doesn't have a real thing to tell you. And I cannot tell you how many of my colleagues I've listened to on the phone that just bully the potential client into thinking that they're dumb and that the lawyer has some you know, magical skill and magical intelligence. Well, we don't. You know what, you know what I find is a, it's a, a legal or a lawyer trait is, uh, is over-talking. So they like to talk over clients um, no matter in what you know, scenario. And it makes a lot of clients, I think part of it is a power play that lets a lot of clients feel that there's this knowledge being impounded upon them. But, you know, I'm going to say something that's a little bit somewhat counterintuitive to what people would think because we're so, um, we're so trained to think that places like review sites, Yelp, oh, or, or, you know, like TripAdvisor or all these other, all these other types of review sites that if that are okay to find a good restaurant, to find a good bar, to find a, a good hotel to stay at. They're great for that context, and you use the volume there as a good indication of whether the experience is true or natural. When people start to translate that to professions, and they start to look up their attorney on Yelp, um, and not to knock those types of review sites, it's, it's really not a platform that I think the context of its use provides real insight into the capability of the professional that they're looking for. No, not at all. And if you think about it, most lawyers are going to have very limited interaction with their clients. They're going to do something for them. The outcome may or may be okay or not. And if the outcome's not so good, it, is that client really going to go publish something about the lawyer on the website? And if they do, do you think the lawyer's going to write them a nasty letter and scare the shit out of them to not put that on the website? So you really can't count on Yelp reviews, so, right? So then the question is where? Because unfortunately, very good lawyers, and I know a lot of them, right? You being one, there's not a there's not a place you can say, well, let's look at let's look at John. And now there's even other places that will prostrate that they will tell you that you have a super lawyer, oh, you know, and, and and things like that. And so I've been through my rolodex of quote unquote super lawyers, and they they're not always worth. <laughs> They're not always worth That could be a whole other podcast, Camp, what a super <laughs> lawyer is. But let me tell you about super lawyers and labels like that. That's complete horseshit. Hmm. All that is is you paid for a membership, and you get a couple of your buddies to write you a letter of recommendation for them to give you that moniker. You buy that. That is something that is bought and paid for for advertising purposes. It doesn't mean a damn thing. So my concern is that most folks out there, when they're looking for an attorney in this example, they do it uh, a sense of stress because a transaction or something has occurred in their life where they need uh, representation. Right. And what's the first thing everyone does? They grab their smartphone, they get on the browser, and they look up lawyer for X. Yep. And what pops up the, the most and the most frequently is somebody that has a lot of Google AdWords or they've paid for reviews that would pop up, so these review sites, like we mentioned before, and, you, and they have to sift through a laundry list of names of people that are pushing themselves to the forefront, not because their skill is commiserate with the needs of this client, because their marketing skill is above lawyers that may be uh, in a better position to help this client. What's, what's a better way? When someone gets into a stressful situation, what, what's the best way to, to, to find the right professional? Well, unfortunately, Ken, in my opinion, there really isn't a good way, but there are ways. And the best way is to ask your friends and family. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not necessarily, in fact, it's probably not going to lead you to the lawyer that you necessarily need. It might. You know, it might be that you have the same problem as your buddy had, and maybe he had, knows a lawyer did a good job for him, and he can refer you to that person. But at least if you get a referral from a friend or family to a lawyer who they trust or who they have confidence in, you can hopefully, and you should, be able to explain to that lawyer what your situation is, and he should be able to tell you, well, I can't help you, mm -hmm. but I know someone who can, or this is the type of lawyer that you need, or this is how you should go about trying to find this lawyer. And if they're a good lawyer, they're going to know other people in their profession that do specialize in the area that they're in. And I can tell you honestly, I've referred many times lawyers who were adversarial to me, lawyers who 
were on the other side for me, like I was the plaintiff and they were the defendant's lawyer, and because I know, well, that guy did a really good job. That guy's really competent, and I've actually <laughs> referred people to people who you know I was supposedly an enemy of, mm-hmm. because I know that person's competent. So if someone's been around, they've got they've been in this business for 25, 30 years. You know who else out there is good. So first of all, getting that referral from a friend or family or maybe your accountant or someone that you trust, going to that lawyer, and usually since the lawyers, you've been referred by someone, like at least when you call up, you can say, well, hey, you know, Kent gave me your number. Yeah. At least they're going to listen to you and then maybe help you find someone that you need. Well, I think that's the best and first way to do it. You hit a point on the head, which is what I was going to bring up, where I have gotten, as an accountant, as someone's accountant, uh, asked what attorney they should reach out to knowing that an adjacent profession like accounting would have interactions with potentially a lot of attorneys, which I do, um, especially in the context of the type of business that we do. And I know a lot of attorneys, and dependent on what the client's needs are, level of sophistication and budget, I do have attorneys that I've actually had experience working with and have that exact experience where I say, hey, listen, I, he, tra- he handled a few transactions for a client, and he did a bang-up job, or she did a bang-up job. And I think, I think vice versa is true. Um, one of, the, one of the, the advices that I would give would be to ask an adjacent professional. That's one of the ways. So ask your attorney uh, or another professional uh, what a good accountant that they may recommend. And you as an attorney, if you have a good experience with someone that does call it trust accounting, and you said, you know what, this firm did a bang-up job, um, you'd recommend them because the key is that it, they don't have necessarily have uh, a correlating uh, benefit. Their benefit and since you're, they're already your client, is to give them a good referral. Because to me, when I give a referral for, for legal, for example, or any other referral, my, my reputation is on the line. Absolutely. So if they trust me, I need to be sure that I entrust the professional that I recommend in order for me to continue with you know, my brand, like to, for them to trust my word. hundred percent. I don't think any professional is going to knowingly give a referral to someone that knows a schlep rock. I mean, that's just, that's, so that's really key. Now, if you don't have any of those resources available to you, you just, you know, you just don't have it. Mm-hmm. Do you go to the billboards at that point? Do you go to the yellow pages at that point? Back the bus? Don't. Don't. Next best resource, believe it or not, is calling your local bar association. So there, every city's got a bar association. There's a Los Angeles County Bar Association. There's one for LA City. Glendale's got one. Torrance has got one. Everyone's got a bar association, and it's essentially a club that lawyers are in that are in the area, and are they thoroughly vetted? No. But I can guarantee you one thing. At least the bar association knows that this guy at least specializes in the area that you're looking for. So you can tell the bar association they usually have a screener, and they can say, well, you know, I... I, my mother's passed away, and, and the house is in her name, and, and, and I don't know what to do. Well, they know, well, you need a probate lawyer, and they got a list of probate lawyers, and are they going to give you the best probate lawyer? No, but they're going to give you at least one of the names off the list that says they're a probate lawyer, and at least you're going to know that that person doesn't have any you know, bad marks against them, and at least they've signed up with the bar association said that's what they so, do. So, so that's at least something. So they, they've basically indicated that they have a base level level of competence to take action to sign up for programs. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the bar association does check them out yeah, to sure, some extent. Sure. So it's like they, they do say, well, yeah, okay, that's what this guy does. That's what he specializes in. And if you try and sign up for the bar association and say, well, I do everything, they're going to be, well, no, you don't. So at least you've got something there. Again, it's not necessarily that, well, you card the bar association, they said this is the best guy. Well, they're not going to tell you that Mm -hmm. because they've got probably 10 guys and they rotate their names. Sure. So, but if you check out that person, you vet them like I've told you to vet them and you vet them in the ways that I suggest and you find out they don't work, call back the bar association, have them give you the next guy in. You know what's amazing about the internets or the interwebs is that I would suggest as well 
based on the needs of someone's case or someone's a specific legal needs in this case, and we'll talk about accounting in a second, that they should Google questions to ask, questions to ask an attorney, and then ask those same questions to other professionals if they're interviewing professionals in that field. And people, I think, intuitively have the ability to understand if someone is bullshitting them, right, yeah. or someone's coming with a, a clear plan of action that seems to come from actual experience. And I... And, and it is not to say that their performance in, in court is guaranteed or uh, the performance in the case is guaranteed, but I think a lot of the legal and then also the accounting profession is how well your professional can communicate both to you and to the system that they're, they're oriented around, whether that's the court system or the IRS, right, uh, with c communications to the IRS or the Franchise Tax Board, things like that. The ability to clearly and precisely communicate the facts of the case and uh, the position that your client needs to take, uh, if they have that baseline skill set, that core skill set, could lead you to come to a conclusion that they may be a skilled individual in that profession. Right. And where does that start? Listening. Mm -hmm. And that's the really important thing. If you talk to your lawyer and he's on transmit and there's no receive, run. That is so, so important because if they're not listening to you, they have no chance of truly advocating for you. And that, so that, that's really critical. But let's talk about, I think, the most important nugget that I have to share. What's that? Because this has to do with all professionals. I don't care if you're a doctor, I don't care if you're a lawyer, I don't care if you're an accountant. I feel like there's two very distinct types of professionals. You have the advocate and you have the adversary. Hmm. Now, the adversary is what I call a covert adversary. And I'll get to that in a minute. But what you want is an advocate. You want someone that listens to you, understands your situation, and no matter how they feel about your case, no matter how they feel about the law, mm -hmm. or how they feel about the tax code, or how they feel about your diagnosis as a doctor, that they have one purpose and one purpose only, and that is, if they're a lawyer, to win. If they're representing a transaction, to protect you if they're representing you as an accountant to minimize your taxes and to maximize your profit and to maximize the health and productivity of your business, and in the case of a doctor, to cure you and to help you move forward with your life in, in a positive way. These are things that professionals have to do. And unfortunately, in my experience, the majority, if not the vast majority of professionals are not advocates. So covert adversaries, what does that, what does that mean? Uh, here's the covert adversary. Uh -huh. So let's start with the attorney because that's obviously near and dear to my heart. They listen to you. Well, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Well, the law is against you. Well, you know, they're going to say this. And, you know, if they say that, how are we going to prove them wrong? It's going to be your word against his. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the judge is going to do. I don't know what a jury is going to do. We're doomed. Or we should probably just settle. We should probably just settle. Is that who you want? <laughs> That's the lawyer version. Here's the accountant version. Well, you know, the taxes are the taxes, and you made some money, and you know, Uncle Sam has his hand out, and you got to pay the devil his due. And you know, I'm not going to try and find any loopholes for you, and I'm not going to try and find any. Just tell me what you made, what's your expenses. Okay, I'll put it in the form. Here's what you owe. Is that who you want? Seems or, like you've met a few of those. Right? Well, <laughs> I, you know them, Ken. Yeah. Or do you want the guy that's like, all right, you got this income you have here. You, you got a business here. Can we look for some deductions? Can we look for some stuff? Well, maybe not this year, but next year, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this, and I want you to do that, and I want you to do that. And by doing this, we're going to reduce your taxes. And hey, you know, you got this thing going on over here with your estate, and you've got this $10 million estate, and you know when you die, you're going to pay... $4 million of the government. Do you want to do that? No. Well, here's a plan. Well, That's an advocate. True. Now, the advocate, we have to be careful because there's, there's folks that are what we call dreamers. Uh -huh. That's ah. true. So if you have somebody that's your advocate and they're like, what do you want to pay in tax? You know? tell <laughs> okay. Me, I've had that guy yeah, too. <laughs> tell me the number. Um, that can get you in some hot water as well. They're just like, you want to deduct it? We're going to deduct it. Correct. And in the same sense, you don't want a lawyer that says, okay, we're going to lie. 
<laughs> we're going to no. make up some stuff or yeah. we'll just misrepresent things. No, no, no. That's not the guy you want either. That's criminal. And we don't, we're not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is let's talk about the advocate in the terms of a lawyer. An advocate in terms of a lawyer, he's going to be the guy that says, all right, you know what? These are the facts of your case. And then he's going to tell you all this, a lot of the same things like, well, you know, I don't know what the judge is going to do. And then it could be your word against his and all that. But this is how we can fight. These are the tactics that I can employ. This is the strategy that we will employ. I'm going to research this for you. I'm going to look up nuances in the law. I'm going to find facts. I'm going to try and tease some fact out of the other side that maybe we can use to get you out of this mm -hmm. or to help you win. That is an advocate. I will say that you, you hit on a trait that I think applies also to selecting a good CPA or an accountant in the sense that I don't purport to know everything. And even the things that I think I know, I always caveat that with the client that I do and will need to refresh my memory and to do the research on, uh, on topics. Because the tax code does change. And, yep. and especially with 2017's Tax Cut Jobs Act, there's significant changes to what was what used to be known for, for decades prior to that. And any professional that tells you, oh, I know it, that's the rule, you know, that's, that, that, that looks at that in that concrete fashion, I would be nervous to, to continue to work with because their, their absolute knowledge is not always so absolute. Uh, and I, they should have the humility, uh, professional humility, to know that they need to re review the current case law review the current uh, code sections that apply to this. And maybe even, even when it comes to tax code, there may be new case law that changes the interpretation of a tax code or uh, a new PLR that, that changes the interpretation of how to treat a certain transaction. And, uh, and one of the core things that someone should look for in a professional is professional humility. You know what? That is a great way to put it. I never thought of it that way. I love it. I'm going to incorporate that in a lot of things I say. And it's absolutely true for a lawyer. So one of the things, my points I was going to make is if you go in and you tell the lawyer a story and he's got, well, these are the rules and blah, 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 blah. And contract, you know, it requires two parties and it's this, that, and the other thing. You're just listening to this, you know, blather. And he's got it all off the top of his head and he knows it all. Well, you got two ways to look at that. One is like, wow, this guy's really smart and he seems to know all this stuff. And the other way you can go is, this guy is as thick as a freaking rock. And he only knows this one thing. And this is the same thing that he's told every client, and I'm talking to a rock. I want someone who is going to listen to me and research and find out if there's something else going on here where we can win. Do you remember a formal legal acquaintance? <laughs> <clears throat> in overhearing a conversation that this individual had with a client related to the trust yes. uh, and, the, and the, the particulars of the trust. And the initial conversation was, the trust is this way. Well, you have to do it this way. This is the, this is, this is the way it's done. These are how the trusts are done. Yeah. I listened to that guy for a week tell his client that um, you had to have, if, there were, if there were two trustees that required unanimity and, and if there wasn't unanimity, then your sister couldn't have done this and da 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 we're going to win this case and blah, 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 blah. And then I listened to him at one point have this revelation. Oh, well, the trust says that either a trustee can act independently. Well, if that's the case, then this is the way it is. And I'm just going, wow, you just sit there and told the client for a week one mm -hmm. thing, and then you turned on a dime. And what did you turn on a dime about? A clause that was in the trust that you're advising the client about that you should have read. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't bother to read it. So not only did you not do any research, you didn't even bother to read the documents that the client gave you. So that, that's not even professional humility. That's just... That's um, just idiocy. And, well, being thorough. About, you, know, <laughs> being, uh, you know, being thorough with... Yeah, actually trying to know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and the, you know, the allegory, too, I mean, because I did bring up doctors, right? Do you want a doctor who... Well, you know, I know you're having pain. I know you're having a headache, or I know you, you know, your eyes are popping out of your head. But we ran all the tests, and we did the blood work, and this is the diagnosis. And I know that I don't know what's wrong with you. And I want to tell you about a guy. I had a doctor once that absolutely I love, and I still go to him as much as I can. Mm -hmm. 
he would come in and we would talk and he would go through my symptoms and stuff and he would literally get up and say, hang on. And I would see him go into his office and get on the computer and research stuff and come back and say, well, you know, I looked this up and I looked that up and this is what I think we ought to do because of this X, Y, and Z. I'm like, wow, this guy gives a shit. For a doctor, now would you feel the same way if you came into old CPA's office and you asked about something and he was like, pause, turned to his computer and started clickety-clacketing to, uh, to look up that code section? I would. Yeah? Yeah. Hell yeah. I don't expect people to have all the answers off the top of their head. So from what I find in professionals, I, the, ex, the expectation, especially at a high-level professional, as, well, also especially if they did the due diligence, they're coming to you as a professional, like we started originally in this conversation, in a specialty area that you are, that you have experience in. So they didn't go to you for personal injury. They didn't go to you for family law. They came to you for business and contracts. So the expectation is you have some level of expertise. That I, expectation that I find is that I should be at least, at the very least, be able to talk specifically about the subject in some marrow context, understanding you know right. the concepts of what's going on. Yes, yes. Rather than someone's like, you know, I have a charity to a 501c3, and I'm like, what's a 501c3? No, no, no. Uh, oh, that's a public that, that, charity. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. But what I am talking about is this. When the way, this is the answer I give is, well, guys, you told me this. Mm -hmm. This is the Hornbook answer. Hornbook is a book that we used in school. It was a, kind of a summary of the law. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is the law school answer. This is the Hornbook answer to your problem. There may be some other things going on here that I really want to investigate before I give you a thorough answer. So as, as we sit here today, this is sort of how it is. Mm -hmm. But if you give me a minute, let me research that more thoroughly and I'll have a better answer for you. And I cannot tell you how many times you look it up and then you read the whole code. Mm -hmm. And even though the law books, even though the summaries of the law, the, you know, the, these authoritative treatises will tell you that something's a certain way, and you say, well, it says the code section says that, and then you go read the code section, like, well, wait a minute, it doesn't say that at all, or there's another section of the code section that makes it completely inapplicable. So more times than not, you give an answer to a client, and then you go look it up, and you find out, well, there's a little subtle twist here. Example that came to mind for me was uh, related party charging related party interest at below market rates. Yes, I had I had a contention with uh, uh, another accountant uh, that said that related party interest uh, it only worked with related party interest. It had no it had no bearing on third party loans, and you can charge way below AFR, and it doesn't doesn't actually matter. Uh, but unfortunately, there was a, a catch-all clause, right, in that code section that said, no, it also includes other parties. It's not just between you and your brother and your mom and your uncle. Um, and initial interpretation or colloquial knowledge around it says that, oh, yeah, it's just related parties. If you're not related, it doesn't matter. Right. And I just thought of my example. Sure. So I had a client call me up, and they were doing Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this guy's not leaving. What do I do? And you look up, you know, landlord-tenant law... Uh, the, the, the treatise on it, which is a summary of law, it's called, it's by Rudder Group, it's this, you know, book that tells you all the stuff, right? And you look it up and it says, well, you know, if it's a transient occupancy and it's not subject to a lease, you can do self-help eviction and you can go in there and you can basically take all their stuff and, and change the lock and put somebody else in there. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like, you know, I'll just give my client that advice. Well, you look in there and it says, well, pursuant to civil code section something, something. And you look up the civil code section, it turns out, yeah, you can do all those things if you told them in advance in writing that you could do that. You had it signed then, and you have an actual tenant coming in that you have to give it to, and you can prove all of those things, then you can do that. Well, that's a big difference, isn't it? And if I had just shot from the hip and gave the client the advice, yeah, yeah, go do that. Go, go do your self-help eviction, throw them out. Well, they could have ended up in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you hadn't gone and dug down and read all the subtleties of the law. So, yeah, we can all have that knee-jerk reaction, that visceral professional, yes, this is the subject matter, this is the general rule, but you know what, damn it, you better go look it up and make sure. That's right. And if your lawyer's not doing that for you, you got the wrong guy. Listen, I think this is a lot of information, and 
you know, if I were to summarize that points that we made at the beginning that a client really needs to start with what are they trying to accomplish? You know, what is the specialty area that they need help with? If they can spend some time refining their issue, and I know that's difficult when it's in when they're in a part in, or a point in their life that they're under stress or they're they're in need. But I think it's really important in finding the right professional to clearly define their issue. And then, secondly, I think what you were saying is determining whether this individual is qualified to do the job asking the right questions, either that's either Googling it, getting word of mouth or uh, responses, avoiding, you know, what a lot of us would tend to do is go to these review sites and go to these, you know, boards to, to identify, quote, quote, unquote, the best, you know, uh, if it was only so easy as, you know, doing a review of the three best microwaves in the market today, right? So yep. the top attorneys in PI today, right? It'd be nice, and but then, you can't. And the last thing that I have mentioned check the state bar to see if they have a history discipline oh good point and find out you know if, if they have if they've been disciplined because they did something bad they're going to do it again don't let it be you mm-hmm. and all these apply for all professions so we talked a lot about attorneys but these same questions these same uh, uh these same theories apply to i think very well to accountants when you when you ask for a CPA, you ask for uh, a, a tax planner uh, to get help in that capacity. It's really important to follow those same principles to, to find a suitable professional. And it, it is okay, in my opinion, to bring in multiple professionals. Sometimes the case demands um, somebody that starts with your case, and then you need a different lead litigator, for example, yep. to, you know, to, to take it to the next level. Absolutely. If and yeah. a good attorney will know that and tell you that. Now, I guess, is it important for us? You're the attorney. Talk about an important disclaimer in this is that we're not advocating any one true way of finding individuals. There's many ways to find the right professional. But, you know, our goal is to, for you to trust your gut and then don't take advice solely from what you're hearing on this podcast. Yeah, and don't, def- be, don't be intimidated. That's, that's right. I think that's the key thing is do not be intimidated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, that's a wrap for today's episode. Uh, All right. Return well, account and walk to a bar. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, To wrap it up, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. And this has been an attorney and an accountant walk into a bar. Well, if you found today's episode enjoyable, please like and subscribe. Leave us a comment. You can shoot us an email at podcast.taxes.com. It would mean the world to us. And come back here. Join us next time on the next episode at the bar. And we'll talk about more fun stuff. And only positive comments, please, because Kent's very fragile. (laughs) 